At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Amen. 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 You guys can take your seats. Good morning, good morning, good morning. So thankful to be here with you guys. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Denzel, and uh, hello, welcome, welcome you guys. Hey, Elaine, how are you? Good to see you too. Hey, sweet. Feel like a family reunion being back up here. Uh, so thankful to be here. Uh, let's be praying for uh, Pastor Ryan as he's uh, on, a fam- on a vacation right now, and then in the coming weeks will be on uh, another vacation. Uh, uh, so, so thankful for that and thankful to uh, him that he allowed me to still be here uh, and coming to be a part in preaching. Amen. So, so thankful for that. Uh, as you guys know, we've been in a six-week series called Smoke and Mirrors. It's this idea from the preacher or the pastor, if you will, of the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, it is said to be that the writer is Solomon. We know Solomon, and we know all the great things about him. He was a man full of wisdom. He was a man full of wealth. He had so much power and prestige and all of these things, and as we study the book of Ecclesiastes, we see there's a man who had it all and a man who tried to receive even more of that, but every single time found himself hopeless, left in despair, left without, and all those things that he went on to try and find to fulfill him, if you will, and satisfy him, leaves him uh, without all of that he thought he would find in things. And so as I was studying, I was reminded of how we all have that same desire. We want something, and once we get it, it's not all what it's caked up to be, right? I don't know about you, but I love rap music. I shouldn't say that from the pulpit, but that's okay. One of my favorite rappers way back when was Kanye West. And Kanye West wrote a song talking about the good life. It's better than the life I live. I'm not going to keep going because I don't want to get in trouble, okay? Because I can keep going and then I'll have to hit the brakes and then you'll be like, oh my God, so I'm not going to do it. But he, he made a song called The Good Life. And he was referring to this song in the lyrics of this song. It's saying he wants the good life and he wants it because it's going to be better than the life he lives right now. And I, I got to get it. I got to shine. I got to do all of these things he's letting us know in this song. And it reminds me so much of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. But also, let's just be honest, this is our lives as well. So much so, just recently, uh, my wife is changing me to like sandals more. I don't know why, but she is. Um, Bless her heart. I used to just grow up with the Nike slides. You just slide your feet in, you slide them right out. Uh, But now I'm getting a little, uh, you know, I'm getting a little taste in my sandals, right? So recently, uh, I asked my wife for some chacos. Anybody know what chacos are? Yeah. Shame on you. You should have told me these were painful shoes. You're shouting, both of you. You raise your hand and you're shouting. Shame on both of you. Somebody should have warned me as I 
wanted some tacos very badly, okay? Let me explain how bad I wanted tacos. I wanted tacos so bad, my brother-in-law had some, my other brother-in-law had some, everybody around me had some. And so as you know, Hope Week was this summer. Every staff member but me has tacos. <laughs> so every time somebody walked by, I'm like, hey, do me a favor, when you see my wife, just so happen to say, man, my tacos feel good, or look at me, I can walk in the water with my tacos, and all of this stuff. And so everybody did what I asked them to do. So finally, I got my wife to cave. She told me I couldn't have tacos because I, I, I want too many things in life. And so she told me tacos, just I shouldn't get tacos. And plus, she hates the way they look. And I said, babe, it's not about you, it's about my foot, okay? <laughs> it's how I want to feel. Guys, I wore my tacos uh, a lot this past week, and these things suck. <laughs> Moral of the story is, these th they suck so bad, I only brought one up here, okay? I don't even want you <laughs> to see the pair of shoes. But, but I put my faith, hope, and trust in these shoes. Why? Because I, I simply wanted what everybody else had. Now, don't get me wrong, my wife bought me two pair of tacos, and I'm going to wear them until Jesus comes <laughs> or calls me home because now i got to prove a point why I love tacos to my wife. Don't tell I said that. She'll hear this later probably, but tacos suck. <laughs> but this is our life. We desire so much in life and we want what everybody else have, or if I could just get a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, maybe this Chaco or maybe that car, maybe this career, maybe this job or this pay increase or maybe this relationship or that relationship, whatever the case may be, we're searching for the good life in things that are always going to not satisfy. It's going to bring us pain. It's going to bring us suffering. It's going to bring us all the wrong desires that arise in us when we're searching for a fulfillment. So, so as we have been studying in Ecclesiastes and we see King Solomon perfectly writing this out for us, he, he, he's writing it out and I love it because we can look through scriptures and we can notice that many people uh, can be speaking to us, but for a king who had all the wisdom, money, women, all of the things that life today tells us that we need to be satisfied or we need in order to be living a good life. He's writing to us, letting us know it left him empty every single time. So today in part six, as we, we close here today, we're looking at this word nihilism. And the definition for nihilism is this. It's the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is meaningless. You see, nihilism is this idea that nothing happens and life is meaningless. There's no purpose to life. But if you and I know, and if our witness is true to the God that we believe in, who sent his son Jesus to die, we know there is a true good life, and there also is a meaning to life. And that you and I don't have this 
opportunity like the world, if you will. It's not really an opportunity. It's a worldview that there's uh, this nihilism mindset. It's knowing that this is just our passing through ground and that this is not our heavenly home. So what does that mean for you and I? That means there's purpose to life. And I love the way uh, the writer, or if you will, as the, the, the Ecclesiastes, the book speaks of, is the preacher is setting this up for us, for us to understand what it means to try to pursue something, but it's like chasing wind. You'll never catch it. And so the first thing I want us to see here today is there is, uh, is there any meaning to this life? Is there any meaning to this life? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 1 reads as follows. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the, the, the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the window are dim and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and, and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. And terrors in the way, the, the, the almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and, it, and desire fails, sorry, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the, at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. First thing we're here to notice is that we're called to remember our creator in our time of our youth. And the unique thing of this poetry, if, if happening, if you look at the difference between chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and so on throughout, there's two sections that we get to notice here today. The first section is remember your creator in the days of your youth. I love the way that he's writing this because he's letting us know, because honestly, the chapter before in chapter 12, the, the writer's talking about while in your youth, you should live and do what you want. You should enjoy your life in your youth. But then a chapter later, he's saying, remember your creator in your youth. It's a, it's a, it's a switch, if you will. 
that you're supposed to live your life. You're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to do all this stuff in one chapter. And then the next chapter, he says, remember, why? And the difference between verses 1 through verse 7 is he's letting you know what you should do before the darkness comes. I love it because he's talking about death. And we don't realize what he's talking about because the easiest way to write this text, if you will, if I was the preacher writing this, I would just say, live right and let's go home. Maybe some of, some of you have heard that, but I remember growing up in church when they say, get right church and let's go home. What does that mean? They, they, they were simply saying, let's get right today so we can go home. And this isn't a common concept among the church today because we, we think we should just live our best life and do what we want while we have time or, or I have time or the, the slogan is uh, you only live once. You got YOLO. You got I can do it when I get time. You got all of these scenarios or these concepts and mindsets on why we should put off the essence of our being, why we should put off the opportunity to be before present before the king what the preacher is writing to us is for us to remember him in our youth and I love it in verse number one he says before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say I have no pleasure in them and then he goes on to list all of these things on why it's important for you and I to do all of this this is a metaphoric language that he's teaching to us. And he's getting us to understand this metaphor of uh, grinding and the teeth ceasing. And all of this is going to happen because that's what happens in life. He's describing life and death, and he's describing old age. And so what comes with old age is what? Death. It's, it's a thing that we don't like to talk about. It's a thing that we push aside. But let's just be honest. You don't just die when you're old. Some say the young die, uh, the, the, the good die young. Right? Isn't that a saying? But what he's trying to get us to understand here is that no matter what age you are, there is going to become a day where all of this world and its problems are going to pass you by. And what you do on this earth matters for your eternity. This, this idea of a meaningful life is this picture that he's painting that, hey, one day the clouds will be removed. One day the sun and the moon and the light will be darkened. And all of this that you think that you know that you know, you'll be faced with the reality of not even liking it. I like it as the text goes on. He, he, he lets us know about this, this vanity. All of it is vanity in verse number seven. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Or as we said earlier, simply the way he's saying it is, you're going to die. You are going to die. I don't know what kind of message you expected to hear today, but look at your neighbor and say, you're going to die. It's a reality, guys. It's a hard statement looking at somebody and saying, hey, you're going to die. 
it's hard to believe. Because we think our lives are our own or we think we can do what we want with our lives and how we want. But the reality is and what he's trying to get us to understand is there is coming a day where all of this, what we think is normal, comes to a stop. In that moment when we know how to grind our teeth is what he's saying, or we think we got time in our youth or our old age, all of this stuff is going to happen and we're all going to be met with the same reality. It's in the presence of the king. Question is, where would you spend eternity? So he's trying to get us to understand that all of this is going to happen. So while you think you should have this good life or this meaning of life, that you think that uh, doing what's best for you and not the internal kingdom, and I'm not trying to pad this to say that the kingdom, uh, you should just do, 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 do for the kingdom. It's not a, a message about volunteerism. But the idea is that, guys, this life that we know as we know it will pass us by. And all of this is all of our reality. He's trying to get them to know that the truth is it's just like spending a night when you have a big exam or a big test. Imagine you the night before. Like, imagine you know you have a job interview tomorrow. And it's the promotion you've been waiting for for your entire life. How are you the night before? You're antsy. You're excited. You, you, you play the conversation out in your mind and you, you go through the logic of, well, I know I did this and I did that and I did this and so this should be my promotion. Or how about a, a child for the children in the room? Everybody can't wait to the day before a field trip. Why? Because it's a field trip. And that jitter happens. That, uh, uh, that excitement happens. Maybe it's your favorite food because Everything you eat should be sweet, right? But it isn't. There is a numbness that takes place as well as that excitement that comes. And that numbness that fills you the day before that field trip or that assignment or that uh, uh, job interview, that numbness actually fills you sometimes. Sometimes it can be moments and hours of joy, but there is a numbness that takes place. And this numbness that takes place is what is coming out of fear. And this fear is actually you're putting your faith in something and you don't know what's coming next. You don't know if you're going to get that job. You don't know if you're going to pass that test. You don't know how good the field trip's going to be. And so what we tend to do in life is we allow these numb-filling, joy-filling moments to, to fill us. But the realistic uh, mindset is you, you, you still don't know what's coming. You, you still don't know what's coming. This idea... It's painful. This idea draws us to a place in our lives where we are enjoying life and we want to keep going in life. But that idea is that we don't know what's actually coming. 
So how is the hope if we, how are we to hope if we are all detained, or I'm sorry, destined to die? How are we to hope if we're all destined to die? And the beautiful thing about this is here we find the hope in verse number one where he simply says, remember also your creator in your days of your youth. I love the way he structure it because he's letting you know, hey, all of this stuff is going to cease. It's all coming to an end. The reality is not at the end of the text, it's at the beginning of the text. The reality is, is that you and I are called to remember God even in our youth. So what's that concept? Don't wait till it's too late to believe in what's meaningful. Don't wait to the end of the road for you to get in line with what you already knew to be true. What, what are you waiting for? All of us can go throughout our, this room and we can talk about the things we've put our faith, hope, and trust in. And all of us will have the same commonality. It left us empty. It left us void. Or how about for any of you that are in the room that have not put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus? You're chasing after those things and we go through scripture and sometimes we, we wait till we get to the end to see what happens. But the reality in this text is it's not at the end, it's the beginning. Remember in your youth, your creator. You, you don't want to go through life and live it in such a way where you have to come back to the starting point. The worst thing we could ever want or, or desire in life is to ask for more time. That's the worst place to ever be. You want to know why? Because the reality is none of us could ever get it. None of us could ever get time back. And I'm telling you right now, I'm pretty sure some hands will go up if I ask you to raise your hand, if you could just add four more minutes in your day. Because we just get busy with things. We get consumed with things. We got vacations. We got work. We got this. We got that. And we got rest days. I love you, Loretta. We got rest days, right? Loretta, love her rest days. But we pile up this stuff. And we forget the true meaning of life. And I love the way he is setting this up here. Because there's joy in God today. The beautiful thing is that we're called to remember him in our youth. But hey, listen, there's still joy here today. The joy is that it's not too late. You're sitting here right now. You are here on purpose. And our creator created us to enjoy him. Kids, maybe on your bulletins right now, you can see exactly that. You can see on your bulletins or your, your little note sheets that God created us to enjoy him. So this joy that we have comes out of a worshipful heart and a heart of posture to praise to him. You see, remembering God in our youth isn't just this thing and this concept that we should do before we get closer to death. But in fact, it's what we were created to do. It's what he intended for us to do. Better yet, this is how he made us. It's not just a concept of remembrance, it's, it's the gospel, um, if you will. 
that before the foundation of the world, he knew exactly who you were. He, he predestined you to come into his fold. He, 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 he already foreseen all of this. And although sin is this mere thing blocking us from him, this is honestly what we still were created for. The issue is you and I put things in the way that stop us from understanding the true meaning of life. That's our problem. Our, our problem is we get so bogged down on what the day-to-day -day is or what uh, X, Y, and Z is or my to-do list or my honey-do list is or, or work expectations and life goals and, and bucket lists. This is what we fill our times with and we all negate the fact that we were created to worship him. We were created to remember him. So it's interesting because as I look and pan across this room, 90% of you are older than me. Ashar, why are you laughing? 90% of you are older than me, but yet and still the text says, remember in your youth. Re re remember in your youth. You see, we respond by trusting in Jesus' death to pay the consequences of our sin. We respond to this text by choosing to follow Jesus. We respond by thanking God every day for loving us when we realize that we deserve to die. That's, that's our reality. And we had no hope without him. But Jesus loved us anyway. Yet and still you and I find all of the many things to go against our big idea today. The big idea is simply this. God is life. I love the song because it says, my life is not my own to you. I belong. I give myself. I give myself to you. But how many of us really live that? How many of us really find joy and fulfillment in chasing after the things that God has placed before us. How many of us really are there in life? Because if we're being honest today, we're all quite struggling with something that we think could fulfill us. We're all still quite struggling with something that we feel, if I, if I have this, I'll be satisfied. And we miss the fact that God is life. So why is it that you and I look for a good life when God is life? Why is that our, our thing? Why is that our, our burden? Why is that our, our go-to? We're trying to find how to live a perfect life or a good life or a great life. Or if I have this, I'm this. Or if I have that, I'm that. Have you ever noticed when you get the very thing you want, the next thing already came out? So while you're sitting at home going through ads or contemplating where you are in life, the next big thing is already coming. It's already presented. It's already drawn up in a boardroom. All I got to do is put money towards it and put it on the ad. Or you just talk about it and it pop up on your phone. You ever notice that? Isn't the enemy tricky? You could be standing around somebody talking about God knows what with God knows who. Oh, I've never had my honeymoon, and we're planning to go to Jamaica. We're going to take a cruise. I know we don't have the money right now, but God knows we're trying. 
7 p.m. at night after dinner, you get on Facebook, and guess what it is? 90% off on your cruise to Jamaica. That's the enemy. We have been so desensitized to this good life that we really have in Christ by the consumerism and the things of this world that we feel if we have this because it looks good or it shines or it smells good or that person or this or that, whatever we think we actually need and we take our gaze and our fixation off of Jesus and the good life and we start looking to other things to fill us. The thing I love is this. We're already fulfilled. How is it that if you're truly found in him and he is your source of life, meaning you already have everything, why is it that we try to add things? You know what I think it is? I think it's nihilism. I think it's us realizing that Jesus isn't enough. I think it's us actually struggling with the idea that he is enough, and so we feel that because we don't think he is enough, and we don't think he'll give it to us in the right timing, or we don't think the portions or the things he gives us, that's what we really want. Oh, God, I didn't want it packaged like that. So we go out and we try to play God. And we try to find meaning in things that God never intended us to find meaning in. You ever wonder why you don't get the things you want? Because he's already what you have and he's already what you need. I love it because it's like the lottery. <laughs> it's like the lottery. God, if you let me hit today, I promise I'll tithe. God, if you let me hit today, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And now our righteousness and the rich hood that we have and our father who owns all the cattle on the hill turns into this fulfillment that we need something that's going to fade. Why is it that we do this so often? We, we all commonly struggle with this. And the reality of this text is this. Is that when we struggle with this idea of nihilism, nihilism, what we do is we're trying to supplement the meaning that we already have in Christ Jesus and then we get lost in the shuffle and we have to meet our maker. And the reality is this, God brings everything under his judgment. So as tough as this is, he's going to judge us one day. And everything will be under his judgment. Before we jump right back in the text, I'm reminded of the the man who filled his, his barns. And everything that he thought he needed and crops and everything was so great and so good and he took 
a blessing from the Lord and turned it to what he can make for himself and how he could not have to do anything else because he's been blessed bountiful. So he built bigger barns to put his things away to store it so he could just lay back, chill, eat, drink, and be merry. But the reality of that is his soul was required of him that night. And not only was his soul required of him that night, the judgment of the Lord was at hand. Like, that was his dealing. <laughs> this is all of our reality. Guys, God brings everything under his judgment. And this is the hope of the message of Ecclesiastes. This is, this is the conclusion of the text. Verse number nine, besides the wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like God's and like nails firmly fixed are the collected saying and they are given by one shepherd my son beware of anything beyond these of making many books there is no end and much study is weariness of the flesh the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I want to read that again. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. As Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes end, it speaks uh, of the diligent searching and work of the preacher. It goes into details and speak of the, the, the action based on the knowledge he was gained and what he did with his studying and how he wrote many proverbs and all of these things and the analyzing and all of this to this big finish. The cliff notes of the preacher's message of Ecclesiastes is fear God and keep his commandments. All of this that we've been studying for six weeks leads us to fear God and keep his commandments. Guys, the importance of this is that when we keep God first and keep his commandments, we're winning. There's no dressier way to say it. I can't dress that up any kind of way. We win when we keep his commandments. And the idea of this text that he's telling us is to remember your God and your youth. 
do all of this before the sun is darkening, the moon is darkened, the clouds are, are, are covers the sun that after the rain. All of this is going to happen. Life is going to pass you by and you are going to die. But the goal of your life before you get to that point is for you to fear God and keep his commandments. I love the friendly reminder because this is what we don't do. Some of you could be like, but why did it take 12 chapters to get here? And I think the importance of us understanding why it took so long to get to fear God and keep his commandments is because the preacher who is said and known to be of Ecclesiastes is King Solomon. He wanted to walk us through every waking struggle that he had. And the reality of every waking struggle that he had, it's what we have. That we try and we try and we try to fill our buckets of all the wrong things. And all God is asking you and I to do as believers in him is to fear him and keep his commandments. If there was anything added to the cliff notes of this message, this sermon of these 12 chapters, it would be fear God and keep his commandments because this is the good life. It, it, it's, like, it's like a shepherd that we just read at the ending of the text. The shepherd, a shepherd holds his flock together. The worship team can come. He, he holds his flock together by simply using tools and rods to steer them along. And we can look at that rod and we can look at that tool, we can look at all of that as being his commandments. Because outside of the will of God or outside of that one shepherd, there's death, there's destruction, there's pain. There's this reality that we're all going to die. And I love it because this isn't a moment for us to say, God, I'm, I'm so scared of you and I can't. No, we should fear the consequences of being outside of his presence. When we step outside of God, we know sin leads to what? And we know we're not supposed to put anything above him, so we should reverence him and fear him and keep his commandments. Not that they're things that are going to bog us down or not give us a good life. No, we should keep his commandments simply because it leads to the ultimate life of meaning. This is where we truly find meaning in him. We find meaning in him and we find purpose in him and a, a, a life well lived in him when we listen to his commandments and keep, uh, take heed to his word as he has given it to us. This is the meaning of life. But why is it so hard for us to do this? My goal and my, my hope, I should say, and my prayer is that we would stop looking at these things of this world because it's all smoke and mirrors. I, I love Kanye West. I really do. One of the greatest lyricists and rappers I ever grew up with. But you know the issue and why I can't chase after what Kanye has? Because Kanye's going through hell and hot water right now. 
Every so often you're reading about a mental breakdown or you're hearing about a divorce or you're hearing about this or you're hearing about that or uh, go with your favorite actor or singer or whatever that are not in God. What is the issue? They have all of this money and it's all fleeting and they're all dying inside. Yet and still this smoke and mirror that you and I gleam to, we still want it. We, we, we still think it's a good life. We drive by homes all the time and we're like, oh, look at this and oh, MTV Cribs or whatever you watch and you pay attention to. And that little thing inside of us make us want it. And we feel like that is the good life. But here's the reality. This world is going to fade. So if you and I do anything, we're to put our hope, faith, and trust and look for our ultimate fulfillment, our ultimate meaning of life from the one who gave it, from the one who is life himself. This is our reality. This is what we should do as believers. And so it's my hope and my prayer that we wouldn't find fulfillment anywhere else. Because the honest, the honest thing is that when life passes us by, we're all going to be faced with the reality of being judged. And I don't know about you, but I want to be found righteous in his sight. I want to be found, I want to be that church that's found without blemish in his sight. Because he's not coming back for your wealth. He's, come, he's not coming back for your success. He's not coming back for your degrees, your pedigree. He's not coming back for any of that. He's coming back for a church without a spot or a wrinkle. So church, may we realize that God is life. May we realize that ultimately our fulfillment is only found in him. And may we realize that everything else besides that statement is fleeting. I pray that it's our heart's desire to seek after him and his kingdom alone. And all that fast money, the lottery, and all this stuff of this world, while the world tells you to get it this way, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And it's righteousness, and all of this will be added unto you. We have so many promises found in God. All we got to do is believe it. All we got to do is hold on to his word because he's not a man who shall lie. And if we know we have the personhood of Jesus who's interceding for us right now to the Father, and that we can put our faith, hope, and trust in him alone and we believe in the cross, if that is really our reality, that we already know of this good life because God gave it to us in his son. So let's stop chasing stuff of this world. Stop chasing things that don't matter. And let's seek him. Let's fear him and let's keep his commandments because in him we're complete and in him we are whole. Let us pray. Dear Holy and Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, I'm so grateful that we get to come together and seek after you. 
God, I'm so grateful that this idea of nihilism is honestly all of our reality. At some point or another, we may have struggled with realizing what the true meaning of life was. For, majority, for some of us in this room, we've probably struggled with nihilism in such a way that we thought there was other meanings and other means of life. But we know you are life. God, you are life. Your son is the bread of life. And we know in him we are complete, we are whole, and we are found. And so Jesus, we say thank you for being our bread of life. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that we may have life. And because of you, we have access to that good life and we have access to that good father simply by believing in the one who he sent. So Jesus, we repent right now for the times we have replaced the fulfillment of you with temporary needs. Jesus, we repent right now for the times we have decided to, to hold on to things that you were asking us to let go, to seeking after our own selfish ambition or our own life goals or building our own resume or anything else we have done. Jesus, we say we're sorry right now. Forgive us for the times we've replaced you and tried to find fulfillment in other things. Forgive us for not trusting that in you we are whole and complete. Forgive us. Even so now. I pray if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that don't understand what this good life is, that have been chasing all the wrong things for many years and ending up at the same starting point of emptiness. Father, I pray that they would find salvation and completion in you. Father, that they would find that the completed work of the cross is enough. That the completed work of the cross will forever be enough. And that everything else of this world is just smoke and mirrors will never satisfy, it will never give us eternal or internal satisfaction. So Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all the honor and glory to you and you alone, which is due. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.